On this episode of Tech in Boston, I sat down with Joe Kinsella. He's the founder and CTO of Cloud Health. Uh, they're over on Summer Street here in Boston, and they're one of the companies that is sneaky crushing it here, flying under the radar, uh, doing some awesome stuff with some big-name customers. And Joe dives into the growth, the whole backstory on how he started the company. Um, this was one of the more fun conversations. Uh, Joe had a lot of good stories, was good to hang out, and uh, just good to be back doing another episode of Tech in Boston. So if this is your first time listening, thanks for doing it. Uh, go and check out all the previous episodes. There's been over 60 uh, episodes, over 60,000 downloads since we started doing this two years ago uh, with basically everybody you've heard of in Boston and a couple people you haven't. So go check them all out. Find uh, all the podcast episodes on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Like, I use Overcast, and I love it. That should be a paid plug, but it's not. Um, just look for Tech in Boston, or go to techinboston.co, or tweet at Tech in Boston. All right, let's get to the interview with Joe, founder and CTO of Cloud Health. All right, Joe. Thanks for thanks for doing this. Uh, first of all, so let's. Um, I want to talk about like your your journey and, and story and everything. But first, let's talk about since we're sitting right here on Summer Street in your in your offices at Cloud Health. Uh, people that are listening that might not know who you are and what Cloud Health is and what you guys do. Give us the quick background, like you know, company size, market you're in, funding. Give give us the whole kind of story. Sure. Yeah. Sounds great. So. Uh, cloud Health is uh, what we call cloud service management, which is it's a SaaS solution that both enterprises and fast-growing technology companies purchase to actually manage their cloud infrastructure. Uh, what we do is we actually take data feeds from all the point products that customers use day to day to manage their product. Everything from uh, you know Amazon, Azure, Google, uh, uh, PagerDuty, Ansible, SaltStack, um, uh, you name it, and we pull it together and integrate it into one console. And uh, we deliver three core value propositions. We deliver integrated reporting, integrated recommendations, and what we call active policy management, which we actually drive changes back to your cloud to optimize your environment. And we could be optimizing security or optimizing cost or performance. Um, I started the company. I really started on the journey uh, to found the company uh, about four years ago. So I left my job. I was actually a VP of engineering at a startup, and I... uh, I quit. I set myself up as an EIR at a venture firm and uh, just started trying to figure out where where there was a big business at the intersection of cloud computing and infrastructure yeah, yeah. management. So uh, I want to I rewind and go back into that story, but um, you just gave me a tour. This place is awesome. Uh, how, many, how many people are here? Uh, about 120, if you can believe That's that. That's crazy. Okay. And you were just saying three years ago, it was just a couple of you guys sitting around in a yeah, room. Yeah, and, so yeah. about a little over three and a half years ago, it was just me. Yeah. And um, we took a Series A round of financing, in, um, uh, so we, we signed the term sheet in February 2013, uh, closed it in uh, end of March 2013, set up shop here on 280 yeah. Summer Street on April 1st of uh, 2013, and I think there were four of us at the time. So, so for, for the non-technical crowd listening, uh, you guys actually have some pretty – some pretty legit customers, I think, if you can name a couple. Yeah, we, we, we do. I mean, uh, we are, um, uh, if you look, we kind of have the, uh, and I'm, I'm hesitating here because I don't remember which ones are public and which ones aren't, <laughs> all right, all right. But, but I'll tell you, we have the who's who list of both enterprises and cool. um, fast-growing technology companies. Yeah. So if you know anyone who's pushing the bounds of the cloud, so our customers are companies that are running tens of thousands of servers in the cloud, tens of petabytes of storage in the cloud, 
um, uh, it's it's probably the best customer list that I've ever seen assembled in a company this, yeah. this, this and, size. And is that, like, on the technical side of things, or maybe even for all roles, is that is that, like, a big part of your – that has to be a big part of your hiring pitch today, right? Like, hey, we're already at 120 – people right here's a here's a group of our customers that's like your social proofing your own company it is yeah Yeah. i think in the early days it was really hard to hire uh it was evangelical right yeah i was i was spending all my time trying to actually convince people that this was going to be a market when there were investors out there in the early days who didn't believe this was going to be a market it's a lot easier now uh, both because of the marquee customers that we've closed but um but also just the the proven success and track record i mean i had a uh there's a, a venture investor who tracks SaaS companies um, uh, in uh, you know in our market. Yeah. And he actually local person. He's a local person. Who is yeah. it? I, I, I'll, I'll refrain okay. to give his name. Okay. All right. Um, uh, uh, keep him anonymous on this, but he All was right. actually showing me a graph of different SaaS companies and how we tracked relative to them. And he t- he showed me a graph of 15 quarters of HubSpot, 15 quarters of Cloud Health. And Cloud Health was outpacing HubSpot for first fifteen quarters of its existence. That's awesome. So, yeah. yeah, and and I, I just all all somebody has to do is go Google. You can find that information about HubSpot, and that'll give you a good sense because the HubSpot growth was insane. Uh, so that's a, that's a good a good benchmark for you guys. It is a very it's the bellwether uh, benchmark. Okay, for so Boston. this is this is a question. So I want to ask you this because this comes up a lot, and we're going to talk about Boston. Why all of that said. Like, why isn't everybody talking about cloud health? Are you, are you just not doing like a lot of PR? Is just kind of like is, one of the things a lot of people say about Boston startups that comes up on this podcast is that you know we're just not we're not really like you know chest thumping and and we kind of just go along and is, is that is that intentional or or just kind of happen that way? I, th- I think it happened that way, which is when we started the business, our biggest factor that we were worried about was just getting to product market fit, and and that's where most companies die, right? Uh, and so we spend all of our time just focused on the, the, the brass tacks of just running a business and getting, getting operating efficiency and closing customers and getting a you know, streamlined sales process and being able to uh, uh, acquire uh, leads in a you know, predictable way. And in the process, we just didn't focus on branding. Right. And it's only actually recently, if you notice, we've kind of started to surface a little bit more around Boston yeah. in terms of our presence. Yeah. And it's only recently we've had time to kind of take a breath of air and just say, okay, now we can actually start to, to you know, make our name known in the Boston area. Well, I can but, tell you that after being on this podcast, it's, you're, there's no looking back. Uh, <laughs> that's good to hear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what's funny is I, I, was, I was actually out West Coast and I was grabbing coffee with a venture investor I know out there. And he sat down and he's looking at um, our, our pitch deck. This, I think, was the B round when yeah. we did it. And he just stopped and he just said, you guys are the complete opposite of a Silicon Valley company. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. He, said, he said, your revenue numbers, we never see revenue numbers at this stage uh, you know, of a company. He said, but your, your mind share? He said, like, right. no one knows who you are. Right, out there you, you have the whole like, I think, I think they're doing well because they're always talking about stuff, but I'm not really <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah. How, okay, so you mentioned product market fit. Yeah. And this is another thing that comes up a lot. How did you know... Like what, what was it for you guys here that, that was like, we have it? It was so many things, which is, I, I'd like to tell you it was one thing. I can tell you when we put the, um, you know, the, the whipped cream and the cherry on the top of the, yeah. the dessert. But, but I, think, um, I think that's, a good, that's a, actually a good insight, too, right? It's, it's many things. It's not for, for entrepreneurs and people like working at startups. It's not just like you're going to wake up one day and, and this one thing happens and boom, that, that's product market fit. W- without a doubt. Yeah. It was, we had to figure out a sales process. We had to figure out how to drive leads. We had to figure out what features uh, customers really cared about. It was every aspect of the business. We had to figure out how to actually support customers mm-hmm. once we actually uh, close them. 
And so it was probably dozens of things that just came together. And there was, a, there was actually a moment in time. I actually tracked product market fit for us was February 2014. And if you actually, uh, if I was to show you graphs of our, of our revenue, you would see in February 2014, you see this steady slope going up. Um, uh, not impressive, but, you know, there's growth every, every, every month. And then in February 2014, you start to see this hockey stick occur. And that really was the moment that the last piece was actually a, a handful of features that had to go in the product that customers just said, you know, hey, you, you got to do this. Right. And once we delivered those, everything kind of transformed and the sales, all of a sudden, the, our close rate went up, our ability to, you know, uh, lead, lead, you know, having a lead to pipe um, uh, went up. Every aspect of our business suddenly took, a, took an upturn, uptick. Uh, so how do, you, how do you think about where the business is now, right? You have product market fit. Revenue growth, 120 employees. Like, what's the what's the next phase, or or how do you talk about the phase that you guys are at now? Yeah, it's, it's growth stage right now. So where we're at right now is we're in that you know as you start to add new uh, people into the organization, it's like you go through this these step functions where you you have this uh, frenetic hiring, and then you have to assimilate those people and make sure that that the culture stays the same and and the maniacal focus on building building a big billion dollar business stays the same. And um, so we're kind of just in that mode of scale everything up we do, um, adopt our processes, make sure that we're hiring the best talent in the Boston area, make sure that, that everyone who joins this company is here not to do a job but to build a business. Yeah. Uh, and um, and so, so that's really where we're at today. But the, the mission that we're on is uh, the, the market that we're in, the last time it was disrupted, multiple billion-dollar businesses were built. This time that it's being disrupted, multiple billion-dollar businesses will be built. So we'd like to be one of those billion-dollar yeah. businesses in the Boston area. So what do you what do you do every day now? Like your founder, CTO. I'm sure in the beginning that meant you're building. Are you, are you still are you still building a lot? Like what what does your role look like every day? It, it's changed over the last uh, four <laughs> yeah. years. So if you look, if you're a founder CTO. You're really um, three, four, five VPs if you're a successful company, which is you're a VP of engineering, you're a VP of operations, you're a VP of product, and you're that external CTL. And I think as a founder CTO, you just had to figure out the right time to, to, to shed some of those roles and focus on other roles. Yeah. And so really what I did, the first one um, uh, that I let go of was really VP of operations, VP of engineering. We hired um, Adam Abrevia. If you know who he is, he was uh, VP of engineering at New ODB. Uh, came in last November, and it's just been a spectacular hire for us. Yeah. Um, so my focus really is the external CTO and the VP of product. So I drive product strategy primarily gotcha. today. Was that hard to let go? Uh, or or was it because you found someone that's amazing and you know at that point? It's, it was not, surprisingly. Um, it was one of those things where when we decided to do it, I, was, I wasn't sure, do I need to do this? Do I not need to do this? And then once we found Adam, I just thought to myself, why did I do this 10 months earlier? <laughs> Right. Um, it just made so much sense because the risk to our business is really around product strategy and uh, in execution of that product strategy and having a single person as the point of value for that just uh, uh, just would have been a mistake for us. Right. So the team gets better because A, you hire a rock star VP of engineering, but B, you're then allowed to drop that responsibility and go shift to the future. Exactly. Right? Okay. Yeah. So so what is uh like you know what is what does product strategy mean for you? Yeah, it's what it is. Is um, we set out with a big vision of where we want to go. I think where we're maybe um, uh, just a small percentage through that big vision of what we're trying to achieve. So part of it is just making sure 
that in any given um, uh, you know any given month, any given week, and we we ship software to our customers every week. We continuously deploy into production every day. Uh, just making sure that the investments are right, and sometimes you're making investments to satisfy existing customers, and sometimes you're making big bets on um, uh, strategic initiatives that are part of the bigger vision. And it's a it's a just a delicate balancing act, and just trying to figure out wh- when and how to make those those, those bets is, I think, um, uh, is, is a challenging job. Do you do you try to spend? A, do you have like a benchmark or something like maybe just personally that you try to spend with customers as part of that? Yeah, I think across my team, I, I try to make sure that we're hitting five to ten customer engagements per person within the team every week. Yeah, uh, and I think that's pivotal. But one of the things I set out, I have this mantra I use since day one, which is. Um, product management is a company. It's not. It's not a department, right? And even though there is a group of people with the title product manager, we actually didn't have anyone with the title product manager until January of this year, if you can believe that. Um, That's interesting. And that, did, was that intentional? Like, did you just say we don't need a formal product manager? We just didn't need it. Just okay. We, you know what it was was we have a company of product managers, which is uh, if you've ever um, what what it is is we're a very product centric company, which means everyone in the company deeply understands the product. Yeah. If you were to walk down and just take any sales rep or any business development rep in our company and just say, show me the product, you'll, you'll get um, just a spectacular demo because they know the product inside and out. And I think as part of that, it, it results in you end up with a really broad set of stakeholders. So when we do re- reviews of, of requirements, as an example, you'll see 20, 25 people will get into a room and they'll just you know hash it out because they're passionate about making sure that the product is the best possible product that they can bring to market. Does that come from you being founder and like technical, fa- like your founder, A, and B, your CTO founder? Like, is that, is that, is that where that tone gets set from, you think? I think it does. Yeah. I think part of it is, is as a CTO founder, you're going to have a product center yeah. company, right? Yeah, I was just like, you know, I, I work with, you know, David and Elias, and that's, that's the tone. They're both product guys, and so that gets set. Whereas, like other startups, started by you know a salesperson, and that's the that's the you know path that you guys take. It is. I think the one thing that we do that that I, I did that has continued to foster it is just an openness and collaboration, which is you can engage if whatever your role is in the company, you can engage in the product management process. You can get access to every single artifact that gets produced within the product team. Uh, you can have an opinion on anything across this product, and so we've made it so easy and frictionless for people. That I think it's uh, it's kind of made that core to the culture. Of yeah, and you want a culture of like you know I've been at companies where you can grab anybody and they they can't you grab a random marketing person and they can't talk their way around the product. Yes, right. The whole company is better when everybody understands how things work. Yes, yeah. without a doubt. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, and our CEO gives a hell of a demo as well. So of course he should. Uh, yeah, he should. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> you, you see you see companies with uh, you know executives who can't actually use the product day in and day out, and I just. I just would never have a company that I found be like. Of course, yeah, of course. All right, so I want to go. So you were. Let's rewind back to like you at Northbridge. You were an EIR at Northbridge. Yes. Did you leave? uh, So before that, you were VP of Engineering at Sonian, right? Yes. Okay. Did you leave Sonian knowing that you were going to start a company? I did. Okay. Yeah. So, so I actually wanted to start this company in 2010. So, and you, this, is it the same idea of what you guys are now? It's basically the same. If okay. you look, if you look at one of my previous companies, Silverback Technologies, there's, you know, it was in the space of management and uh, in monitoring, and so, you know, this is a market I've spent a number of years in. Um, we ended up acquired by Dell. I spent uh, three long years at Dell. Um, I like to tell people two, <laughs> two of which I can explain, one I can't. <laughs> 
Um, were you a number? Were you like an employee with a number? Like, uh, you know, what's funny is Dell is Dell's a, a high quality company with you know, and I consider it one of the great American success stories. But it, it is a hardware integrator. It's not a software company, and so it was a tough environment for me. But there's a lot of talented people. They're just not. Um, they're not people that are in tech startups yeah. and you know software oriented. Was it hard to be there for three years? It was hard. Yeah. yeah. It's um uh, when I found, I woke up in 2010 and I was like you know what the hell am I doing like if I do this another couple of years my my just my instincts of uh, in the startup space are going to be they're going to atrophy so <laughs> it's funny that's a good way to put it yeah. so I decided yeah. I decided I was going to leave so yeah. I I went out and I chatted with a number of investors in the area in 2010 about this idea of of uh, you know applying some of the concepts from silver silverback but applying them uh, to the cloud and uh, it was really lukewarm in 2010 and. I had a charismatic CEO of Sony who actually convinced me to um, come come join him. And so I went off and did that. And I was probably about a year into it and just realized, you know what, now is the time to go build that business. And I think Sony was a great experience because uh, it was a company that really was, um, if you know Greg Arnett, um, uh, they really pioneered their usage of, uh, of, of the cloud. Greg was was pushing the cloud back in 2007, uh, the public cloud, and building a storage solution on top of the cloud at that time, which was uh, really forward-leaning of him to have done that. And so I think that was a great experience and just complemented what I was doing. But finally, I reached a point where I just decided, you know, there's a big business to build at the intersection of managing infrastructure in cloud computing, and I'm going to go figure that yeah. out. Yeah. How'd you, how'd you get to Northbridge? Were there any connections to prior companies from investments? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Jeff McCarthy was a board member at Silverback. And so I knew Jeff through that, and um, uh, Jeff uh, was uh, kind enough to let me shut up, set up shop at uh, Northbridge. And so I just kind of parked there for a series of months while I was running lean experiments. And what is that? What is that? What actually happens? Like you, you make the decision to be EIR at a VC firm. You show up, and then what? Ha- like, what do you do? <laughs> like, what happens on day one? You know, like you're sitting in an office with a blank notebook and you're sketching out ideas. Like, yeah. yeah so what I did is, um, and this is uh, one of the the struggles I had was just putting structure. So when you're when you're in that early phase, you're looking for structure. And I'm sure it was hard because being always having been an operator and having something to work on, yes. all of a sudden you don't. You don't. Yeah. yeah. So what I did is I, um, I I capped to this idea of sprints. So every two weeks, I, I committed to run a lean experiment every two weeks and. One of the mistakes I've made in the past in starting companies is just get too wedded to an idea, and so the idea ends up uh, consuming me and, and ends up you know making me make bad business decisions. And so this time I committed myself to a market, and I wanted to follow the data. So the idea was run lean experiments, have some critical assumptions I was testing every two weeks, um, and then just let the data guide me to where the solution was because I knew there was a big business in the in the intersection of these two markets. And um, so, so I ran lean experiments, and that was my structure. So gotcha. every two weeks, there was at least something I knew I had to right. do. And you knew that, and, and that way, like setting two weeks is a is a you know sets a cap on what you're going to do. It does okay, yeah. And and were you actually like going out and, and taught like what what were some what what went into a lean experience like you you experiment you actually getting out and going and talk to people I'm it sure was, yeah. yeah yeah so like one of my lean experiments was um, a concierge service so I actually uh, I engaged with five companies across the Boston area I was the service that's awesome and uh, and I went and I visited and I sat down with VPs of engineering and I kind of talked through how they were using the cloud and I delivered a service to them and it um, it was a free service. But in the process, um, I was delivering value to them. They were giving me great insight into uh, this market and, and what the different opportunities were. Um, the best lean experiment was the one that actually resulted. I, I date the start of the company, really, to a lean experiment. 
It's worth telling because it yeah. really is my founding story, which was I ran a lean experiment called the sale. And the sale was I had a um, really crude MVP I'd been building. The sale? I called okay. it the sale, yeah. And it was crude MVP. It, uh, what I wanted to do is I wanted to go sell it to someone who didn't know me, and I wanted to put a price, pa- price tag of $50,000 on it so that they would reject me. And the idea was – And you did this in two weeks. And I did this in two weeks, yeah. And the idea was when they rejected me – I would ask, okay, what, what is it that you needed to actually buy this for $50,000? So I called up my former CEO from Sony, and he connected me with this company, and uh, that fit my profile. So I had a you know, profile fit I was looking for. And, uh, and I got on the phone with a CFO, terrible sales call. Like, the guy wanted me to give him the software. I was going to ask you, like, as a person, throw out as an engineer – that's got to be nerve-wracking as hell to go into a stranger's office and ask them for 50 grand. It is. <laughs> like, I'm going to get laughed out of this building. It is not natural yeah. for a technologist. And so, so at the end of it, I was just like, this, this may be the single worst sales call of my entire life. And um, at the end, I'm trying to close. And he says, I want you to just you know, do a web meeting with my VP of engineering tomorrow. And I was like, well, that's kind of odd. I was like, sure, I can do that. So and I you said, didn't think the meeting went well? Oh, it went terrible. But were you like, why is he having me do I this could, call? Couldn't figure it out, but yeah. I figured, you know what? Uh, I'll just, I'll do it. So, so I end up doing a web meeting. I ha- suddenly find myself uh, on a call with six people who know the problem I'm working on about as well as I know the problem. So we end up just going deep into the, I'm showing the product, I'm talking to vision, and they're asking really hard questions, and we we just had this great interactive session. And I realized that 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 these people were building my solution inside their company, and they were just meeting someone who just also happened to be building the solution. And at the end, like a typical technologist, I had such a great call. I was just trying to rush off the call and, and you know get back to building get, something. Get back yeah. to building something. And the VP of engineering just says, um, "Yeah, sure, we'll buy." And I was like, uh, you know, so. I try to talk him out of it. So I start to start. No, no, you're like, no, 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 I can't. I don't have anything to sell you. This isn't real. That's exactly what I did. So, yeah. so, so I started trying to explain to him that, um, you know, no, actually your CFO said um, that you guys weren't interested. And he's like, no, we'll buy. He said, just send us a contract. And I said, yeah, but, um, you know, it's $50,000. He said, our CFO's in the room. He said, we're good. Just send us a contract. And that was the first sale that I That's closed. amazing. That's a hell of a story. I'm glad you told that. <laughs> so did you, so did you, did you send them a contract? And then, and like you basically have an agreement for them to be your first customer, and now you have to go deliver this product. I didn't. Not only did I not have a contract, I didn't have a business entity. Um, so I actually, at that point in time, had to go create a business. Like entity. it's time to incorporate. <laughs> I created this just terrible contract. What was the name of the company? It, that- the original company was was incorporated as Cloud Percept. Close. Okay. Close. Yeah, I had cloud, right? Yeah. And um, uh, you know, and, and so I sent him this this contract that my CEO still laughs at today. It was basically uh, it was a reseller agreement. It was all I could find so just to give them a contract and have them sign something. But um, but then I reproduced that same experiment two weeks later, and I closed another deal of the same size. Wow. And I realized at that point in time that that I was starting a business. And then at what point of you having those conversations actually deli- when, when did those two businesses get your product? Oh, they had it day one. As soon as as soon as they signed that agreement, I actually had them provisioned. So the, okay, so so you ha- so what you had, you weren't even this wasn't even fake it till you make it. What what you had, what you had built in your time at Northbridge was ready to work in it was, there. It was fully functional. Yeah. That's awesome. It was crude, but it was fully functional. And um, in fact, my second customer, the um, VP of engineering, said, "Hey, I have a staff meeting on Monday," and he, I think he told me this on a on a Saturday. He said, "Can you just provision?" 
you know, our accounts. And, you know, I think this is a company that was running uh, seven, 8,000 instances on Amazon in a pretty complex environment. And so I provisioned it over the weekend, yeah. found a way to make it all work. And on Monday, he showed it to his uh, management team. What did you, did you know some like secret that these guys didn't know? Or was it just like right time, right place? You were working on a similar solution and you ran into two companies who were going to build this internally. I think it was um, it, part of it. Part of it was just part of it was luck. Part of it was I did target companies that were pushing uh, the cloud. So these were pioneers. They were out there. They're kind of like a, a, where HubSpot was at in, in using cloud infrastructure. An early pioneer pushing um, uh, its usage of the cloud. And I think by targeting that, I found people with great pain, and uh, and they were looking for a solution. If you look, why did that first sale close? That first sale closed because. What they, they, they had a pain that was so great that they were actually uh, actively trying to solve that problem themselves. And when someone came along and just said, I'll solve that for you, and you don't have to divert resources from your business, $50,000 for them, that was an easy choice. Right. That's an easy build or buy decision. Like, yes. why dedicate a whole engineering team, not on our core product, just yes. to do something internally? Go pay this guy to yeah. go build this. So board. there was no competitors at the time? Like, was that hard? It, it, there really weren't. Um, there, the, the market really has, and even today, it's a very fragmented market to understand what the competitive landscape looks like. And it, it's got to be hard because everything has cloud in it. Everything has cloud. So, so it was one of those things where, it, it, with investors, they were very confused by this market. So A-round investors, when you were talking to them, them, they would look at it and they would see lots of companies talking about cloud and they would just they couldn't see the uh the the, the tree through the forest they just thought everything w- must be competing against you and so a lot of companies in boston actually passed on our a round um, so even with those stories like you you're like i literally went to com- companies are struggling to build this internally this is yeah yes and did that piss you off like it, it did yeah. yeah without a doubt i mean i had um I mean, I had investors I, I knew personally, people who had um, I, I grabbed coffee with throughout the entire process of creating this company that passed. I had uh, one investor that I would have loved to have on my board that said, um, I think the problem's too easy. And uh, I had another investor tell me that, um, no, actually, I looked at that market two years ago. It's not a good market. Don't build a company in that space. So, so you know, really smart, talented people who've had great successes, but they looked at, when you're looking at an A-round business, it's, um, you know, it's a, it, it's hard to assess yeah. what the opportunity and Yeah, the it's a little is. bit of lick your finger and see which way the wind, it's, it's hard, whereas, you know, growth stage now, investors can dig into your metrics and yes. see the market and, yeah. Does that still, like, fire you up today to build something awesome? Like, yeah, you it have, does. of course. Yeah. <laughs> it does. Yeah. It's, um... You know, it's funny, I, I, uh, I, I have a series that, you know, I've been blogging throughout the whole process. So yeah. You can actually see the entire journey of building this company. And I had a blog that I didn't realize I had rescheduled that reposted recently. And um, it was called um, The Chicken and the Pig. And, uh, and the story was, I, we actually, before we raised our B round, uh, we went out and we started chatting with some investors. And we went, um, both Dan and I went and we chatted with an investor we know. And he just told us, you're not going to get a B round. Like, and this was, you know, the Boston B round crunch. I don't know if you remember that. That was a, a period of time where everyone said, you know, B rounds are really hard. And um, uh, so, so he just basically said, you're not going to get a B round. And it just, it ticked me off so much. I wrote the blog post, Chicken and the Pig, just talking about the fact that, you know, you just need to be committed. You need to be the pig where, you know, when it comes time to breakfast, you're actually, you're providing the bacon, not the eggs. Right. right? 
And, uh, and, and I just um, uh, I wrote the blog post, and I just said, we're, gonna, we're just going to go will this thing to happen. And you know, 60 days later, we had five term sheets and chose from the best of them. And, you know, That's awesome. Moved did, you, did you ever – okay, so you, end up, you ended up raising a Series A, right? In between A and B, even though things were going well, during that like, Series B crunch in Boston, did you ever feel like, shit, we might not be able to, to – build this company because we're not going to be able to raise enough capital? Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. Um, uh, it's funny. One of those things where I, at every phase, I, um, I, I, think I've, I, I think I'm an entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial worrier, which is at every phase, I find the thing that I worry about next. And at that point in time, I was worried we could never raise a B round. And, which um, is actually, uh, it's actually, I don't want to inter- cut you off there, but like, that's a better, I feel like that's a better, pers- that's a better mantra. Whereas... We're, we can always raise money. We're, this is always going to be able to happen. And I think what's happened around the, la- you know, the last year and a half, two years here in Boston, is that a lot of companies that raised money two years ago made a bunch of hires, now have to you know, peel back because the promise was, yeah, yeah, raise this money now, hire a bunch of people, and then we're going to come back and, and come back with another growth round for you later. Yes, yes. And I think um, – and I worried greatly about it. And also when you take that, that money, you um, – it's a burden. It's an emotional burden on an entrepreneur because um, you're making commitments to people, and every time you take a new round, the commitment gets bigger. And even though you, you to take that round successfully, you you've achieved something in the past. That's the past now. Um, you know, it's a zero sum game. You have to start over. Now right. you have to achieve that next big goal. Yeah. Instead of having I don't know whatever your Series A was, but instead of having six to eight million dollars of somebody else's money, now you might have fifty to seventy five million dollars of somebody else's exactly. money and the outcomes start to get you know, once you raise that money, the outcomes, the possible outcome is way different. It is, yeah. 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 So the, anyway, so the every round I uh, I've gone into it worrying about what the economics of that round will be, should we take that round. Um, but we've been smart about capital. I mean we raised forty million dollars in in three rounds. Um, it's been a highly efficient business, I'll tell you that, which is uh, the economics of our business have been very good. We've dro- driven really great sales efficiency in our model. Um, the reason we've been able to raise the capital uh, A round was leap of faith by some uh, Boston investors who just took a chance on it. B round was, uh, I like to call it a discriminating buyer. A discriminating buyer who understood our market would look at it and say, I get this. And then C round was just pure fundamentals and efficiency of our model. Yeah, now this thing is cranking. Yeah. Oh, uh, man, I don't know. That was a good uh, – what else, what else do we want to talk about today? Um, how would you – you're from you're from New York. Yep. Now, like, I'm, I'm sitting in your office. You got a Boston – you have a poster of Fenway. <laughs> you're a huge advocate of the Boston startup world. Uh, you, and you, you didn't – you got here by accident? I did, yeah. What? So – uh, computer science degree, um, uh, state school in New York. I uh, I graduated, and I just happened to notice that all the jobs seemed to either be in Boston or San Francisco, and uh, Boston seemed a lot closer than San Francisco. So I uh, jumped in my car and I drove to Boston, and uh, and I crashed at my sister's place, who happened she happened to be living out in the Boston area. And I looked for a job for two weeks, and after two weeks, I just didn't find a job. So I figured, you know, I should give up and go home. And, <laughs> My sister looked at me and said, I think you might want to give a little bit longer than two weeks. Yeah. And uh, so I landed my first job was actually a company called Easel Corporation, which um, I did an IPO, ended up um, uh, um, uh, faltering and ended up acquired. I think the, the assets reside somewhere deep in the bowels of IBM, I think, today. But uh, its claim to fame was the first scrum team. So my first software development team out of school was the very first scrum team uh, that Jeff Sutherland went off and wrote the original Agile paper. That's crazy. What, what do you think... Uh 
is it is it funny to look back at like how software development was done then with scrum teams and to today you know you mentioned to me earlier like you guys are shipping code all day yes now <laughs> yes yes it is it was you know what was great was um I came at the crossroads of, of two worlds. So you still had the waterfall world was going on for several years after yeah. that. Tell people that uh, tell people that might not know what a Scrum team is, what, what that is. Sure, yeah. I mean, a Scrum is, is, is a, um, a specific form of an agile methodology. And, and Scrum really is just focused on putting some structure in place to allow teams to, to uh, execute in an agile manner and cross-functionally in a way that just streamlines the software development process and, 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 and strives to maximize the uh, impact on the customer. And it's just an efficiency in the model, which is um, uh, back when I, I joined, there still were companies that were um, putting out releases that went a year or a year and a half um, uh, before they shipped software. And we were pushing out releases at a fairly rapid cadence. And we were, we were basically at that crossroads. We were um, a small, when I started, it was a three-person team. And then I think, it, you know, I think at its maximum size was an eight-person team. Give us some perspective. What was a, what was a fast cadence then? I think we were shipping software every couple months. That's it was insane. A fast, it was yeah. a fast game. That's awesome. Yeah. Cool. And just to be clear, it was shipping on um, on disks. Oh yeah, this was like this was like physically people were getting mailed. Yes. Yeah, you got it. Yeah. That's, uh, That's awesome. All right, uh, let's wrap up and just talk about Boston for a little bit. What do you think? So, the thing I like to ask a lot of people is. Um, you know, what's what's great about building a company in Boston? Sure, yeah. I may have landed here by accident, but I wouldn't be building my business anywhere else, which is um, I travel all around the globe, and I'm in different cities all the time, and I, uh, I'm passionate about Boston primarily because it's a fantastic city. You know, go, go around the globe, visit different cities, and find a city that's more approachable, that's more... Um, you know, it's a it's a small city, but it's um, uh, but it but it has all the advantages of of larger cities, and the entrepreneurial community here is just first rate. Just the combination of the uh, universities we have, um, uh, the research that goes on here, the strong venture community. It's uh, I don't know how you could find a better place to build 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 a business than Boston. Some there's a piece of advice uh, I forget who said this. I think it was Rob Go from Nextview. Actually, he said. Um, one thing he wishes that Boston founders did more was travel. Yeah. Just to get outside and then bring that back here. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I think I think that makes sense. I think there's um every time I go to Silicon Valley, every time I spend time in San Francisco, I come back with um a different different idea, a different perspective. Um and you know, in some of them you'll find in my blog where I've you know, I've written blogs about, you know, coffee in the Silicon Valley. Yeah, just, you know, I'll link to I'm it learning. in the in the notes, yeah, for yeah. sure. It um, but but I'll tell you, even when I do that though, I mean, I, I about a year ago I was out in Soma and I was sitting at a coffee shop in the middle of San Francisco, and I'd spent the entire day in San Francisco and I was just looking around thinking I wouldn't put my business here. I, I, I hear you. I was out there. I was out there in February and I was standing at a stoplight. I went out. I went in the morning. I went to the gym. I got a coffee. I'm standing at a stoplight, and two people come next to me. And they're talking about Series A and this v- VC firm and that VC. And it's like 8.15 in the morning on like a Thursday. And I was like, uh, you know what? The thing that I love about Boston is that it's a bubble in a good way, which is, you know, you, you, don't, you don't have to go out to dinner and everybody's, you know, angling for a job or hiring or trying to, ra- you know, talking about fundraising. And, and just like, I think that that is the one, that was my takeaway of, of being out there was like, I, I don't know if I could handle that. Yeah, I agree. I, I think we go about doing our business in a, a little, little in a more quiet manner. And yeah. 
All right, let's be critical for a second, though. So as a founder here, um, what's something that we need to be doing better? I think our... Um our venture venture community needs some replenishing. Um, yeah, tell me uh, tell me more about that. This has come up a lot. Yeah, I, I feel like um, I think venture businesses are kind of unusual businesses from the perspective of you, you know they're 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 entrepreneurial endeavors in themselves, and the entrepreneurs for the venture uh, firm to live on, the entrepreneurs have to move on and pass the baton to a, a new set of investors, and I think um, that's unlike our business, right? And uh, and I think that sometimes is challenging. And so I think the longevity of these venture firms, some of the best firms uh, 10, 15 years ago are no longer the best firms in Boston. And some of the new firms, you know, uh, I, I think, um, uh, what was it, Mike Volpe actually uh, wrote an article where he made the comment that uh, limited partners are looking for venture firms with proven track records, which makes it hard to actually start a new venture firm. So, so I think there's a little bit of a... A challenge there where I think, you know, we want new venture firms, new ideas, but at the same time, it's hard to actually go create that. Um, so I, I think we're fine. You know, in our, in our case, we have four investors in our company, two are Boston, two are our Silicon Valley. Um, uh, you know, we did it by choice, but, uh, but it was the Boston investors that allowed this company to get created. If I was starting a company and I came to you and I was looking for advice, what would you tell me about fundraising? One of the tips I always share is um, don't wait until you actually have packaged everything up to start talking to investors. So one of the things I did and I, I, I tell entrepreneurs, take the time to go make this happen, is to grab coffee with investors and let them be part of your entrepreneurial process. Tell them the challenges that you've hit in the early phases. Tell them where you think you've taken a left turn. And uh, I think that openness is, um, I think it's, it's, it's somewhat uh, scary to some people. But what it does is it builds a track record. You have investors now who are watching you say, I'm going to go do X, and then you go do X. And they can watch it over a longer period of time instead of coming into a high-pressure environment where you're trying to convince them all in a series of a couple weeks that you should make this investment. Yeah. Cool. Joe, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, I appreciate it. All right. You're a CTO, but I'm going to give you your shot to plug your company, Cloud Health, right now. Great. Yeah, so I so love it. So we, um, uh, we are the hottest company you don't know about in the Boston area. I told you, once I publish this, this is going to change, <laughs> though. This is my last day of it. So, uh, yeah, so we are, uh, we're growing rapidly. We are um, a highly product-centric company. We have uh, big, hard problems that are very difficult to solve. So if engineers are looking for that, this is a great environment. And you've got a group of people who've built this company with proven track records, which is we've, uh, we've, we've built businesses before. Um, uh, we built big businesses before. We've had successful exits. And we're just about um, uh, you know, execution and driving customer value. And um, so it's a great awesome. environment to work in. And a good-looking office. And that a good-looking office. That yeah. is true. Cool, man. Where can, uh, what's your Twitter handle? Uh, you can find me at Joe Kinsella. Awesome. All right. Thanks for doing it. Uh, awesome. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Thank you.